morning. It's a good morning, right? You know, we are, we're, we're used to Pastor Mark being up here, and I think we, I don't know if we all realize that's pretty eminent preaching. That's, that's the finest, and, and uh, when we hear him, we can be thankful that uh, God has brought him here and given him to us to have to be the teacher here. And uh, so we miss him today. I miss him, especially. Okay? And uh, um, just remember, though, we, we, we still have this. This is what it's about. This is important. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he's given us his word. So I'll try to stick to his word. That's, you don't want my opinions, and so I don't want to give them to you. So... Um, We'll, we'll go with it, what his word has to say. I read, the, uh, I read in the scriptures uh, in the New Testament, and I, you know, I can kind of fly right through it. I like it. I spend time in it. But then I go back to the, to the Old Testament, and I think, oh, i got to go through this again. You know, and it's different. But uh, I love Genesis. I love, uh, I, I'll skip Leviticus. Uh, and, I, and I go on through. I love the Kings and Chronicles, and I love the, um, all the, uh, um, you know, the, the Proverbs and the Psalms. And, but I struggle with Leviticus, and I, I suppose we all do. But I, I, I look at it, and, and uh, I see that in the Old Testament, if you can follow it, there's a... Um, there's a theme and a thread that works through the whole scriptures, and that's that's what we're looking for. And if we can see that, you know, if we can look for the Lord Jesus in all the books of the Bible, um, it, it makes the picture so much clearer to us. You know, God started and He's going somewhere, and that's what we want to follow. So today I'm uh, I'm going to have you go to chapter nine of uh, Genesis. If you will, please. Um, and I'm just going to, uh, I'm sorry, so 11, and I'm going to read 1 through 9 in chapter 11 of Genesis. Everybody here okay? Good. Okay. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. 
that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel or Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. And my question when I was reading this is, how did we ever get here? You know, how did we get to this place? And what's the significance of the Tower of Babel and, and the city that he was building? And what was that all about? What does that have to do with God's whole purpose and plan? So I go back to um, start in the garden and I... Um, I start in the garden with Adam and Eve, and of course, uh, uh, it's perfect. God's put a perfect place there, and you can imagine perfection, um, good for you, because we don't have it around us. But it was a perfect place, it was a perfect garden, Uh, uh, they had everything they could possibly want, and um, then along comes the serpent, you know, he's... And and he he says to Eve, you know, God's not as good as you think he is, Eve. God's, he's trying to withhold something from you. Didn't, did, did he really say you can't eat of that tree in the center of the garden? And Eve said, well, yeah, that's what he told us. And she, he said, well, you, you see what he wants? He wants to keep it for himself. He doesn't want you to have it. Um, he knows that if you ever eat of that tree, um, the fruit of that tree... You're going to be like God. You're going to be wise. You're going to know good and evil. And Eve says, yeah, I guess that's true. So she's starting to bite. And then it goes a little further, and he says, uh, look at it. Isn't that fruit beautiful? She says, oh, boy, look at it. It really is a beautiful fruit. And then he says, "You you can't believe how good it tastes. Oh, boy. That kind of got her going. So he's applied to her. So doubt about who God is, he's, he's uh, approached her with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. You know, So it all fits perfect for her. So she says, I guess I'm going to do it. And so she goes and she takes a bite of this fruit. And afterwards, it was, she thinks, well, maybe I wasn't supposed to do that. And she feels guilty and... She's, sin loves company, so she goes and finds Adam and says, Adam, oh, you wouldn't believe how good this fruit is. You know, this is really great fruit. You know, you got to have some, Adam. It's so good. He says, where'd you get it? And she said, well, that tree over in the middle of the garden. And he, he said, well, you weren't supposed to eat that, Eve. And she said, yeah, I know, but it was just, oh, I said, wait, just try it. You know, just try it. And so Adam He's not deceived, he just plain is disobedient, and he takes the bite too. And that brought all the ruin upon mankind from the start to the finish. Every bit of it, uh, the, uh, the ruin, uh, the, everything that we go through, everything that goes through the whole scriptures um, was brought on by that little, little bite of fruit, you know. Um, it was disobedience to God. It was saying, God, I've got a better plan than you do. I want to do this my way. And that, um, of course, uh, brought on the ruin. And God had commanded them in Genesis 1.28, before they ate the fruit, he said, um, 
God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Scatter out across the earth. Take, take dominion over it. But Satan's deception, Eve falls, and God's order has been broken. God has an order. He has an order. Um, the husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of God. I mean, Christ is the head of the man, and, and uh, the father is the head of the son. And it's all in order. There's no more um, glory for the father than there is for the Holy Spirit or the son. Um, they're equal in glory. They're equal in power. But they have a role to play. Each has a different role. And the husband's role is to be the head of the, of the woman. But Eve usurped that. She got out of her place. She broke God's order. Adam fell with her. And the order was broken. And when the order is broken in marriage, um, then the order is broken in the children. And so right away we see Cain and Abel, conflict. So um, the rest of the... Uh, I have here the marriage is out of order, so the children get out of order. The family gets out of order. Pretty soon the culture is out of order. The whole thing just mushroomed. And uh, the rest of the uh, scriptures is all about how God restores the order. He restores perfection. He restores what was lost in the garden. So God decides, uh, gets, we, we get to Genesis chapter 6 and God looks down on the earth and it says, uh, God looked down on the wickedness of man and he saw that the, that man, uh, the wickedness of his heart was only evil continually. The intent and the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually. And he said, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this group. You know, I'm going to get rid of them. But he says, but Noah found grace in his sight. So here's Noah, a preacher. He was at the time about 650 years old, I guess. And uh, so maybe 600. And he, um, he agreed with God. He started doing just exactly what God told him, build an ark. And so Noah starts building an ark and God brings the water. And uh, the only ones on the ark were... Um, uh, Noah, his wife, and then Shem, Jepheth, and Ham were the sons of Noah and their wives. So we had eight people on the ark. And then he said, take all the animals that I tell you to bring up. And he did. So the water uh, comes and falls for 40 days and 40 nights. And then finally when things clear, um, uh, God starts over. He's got only eight people to start with now. Um, but there's a difference between um, a command he makes now and there was a command he made to Adam and Eve. And the command he made to Adam and Eve was go into the earth, scatter, and take dominion over the earth, multiply. And this is what this was the result of it. Now he comes to Noah and his family tells him the same thing. He said in chapter 9, verse 1, he says, go and multiply and spread out over the whole earth and take dominion over it. And so that's his, that's his desire. 
And so Noah eventually becomes a farmer and, and he plants a vineyard and he grows some grapes and he gets drunk. And he's laying in his tent naked and Ham looks at him and he kind of, he says, oh, look at this religious old guy. And he laughed about his father and he's, he said, oh, i got to tell the guys this. So he goes to who's it, Shem and Jepheth and he tells them and they're not, they're not impressed by it at all. They, they're um, shamed by it. And so they take a blanket and they approach backwards and they cover Noah. And, uh, and, and Ham, he's got a whole different attitude than Shep, Shem and Jephthah. So what happens is um, when it's time for them to leave home or spread out, um, Noah puts a blessing on Shem and he puts a blessing on Jephthah. But Ham, he curses. And he, and he calls him Canaan. He says, your name will be Canaan. He said, and uh, you're going to be a servant to your brothers. Well, we know then that Ham was eventually the, the father of the Canaanites, the land of Canaan, which God gives to the Israel, Israelites, but they have to take it. It's a battle. It's a fight. And they have to go in, and he gives them instructions to kill them all. You've you got to get rid of all of them. Of course, they didn't do that. They had, you know, they kept, kept the best around. So, um, uh, so we go, we move out from there and, and kind of follow Ham now a little bit. And it says, uh, um, when Ham rebels, Noah curses him. And eventually, um, Ham begets Cush, and Cush begets Nimrod, and Nimrod's a mighty hunter, powerful guy, and he's got a lot of sway with the people, he's very, a very proud guy, and, and uh, Nimrod doesn't want to follow God. He says, come on, you guys, let's, let's do this our way, and he takes them to uh, this beautiful place, this valley of Shinar, and it's actually the... Uh, you've, the valley of the river of the Euphrates and the, and the uh, uh, what's the other one, Euphrates and Tigris. That, that valley, huge valley, a beautiful place. And he says, let's build here a city. Let us build a city, he says. He says, let us make a name for ourselves. You know, he wanted to build a city, a, a monument to himself, a tower that reaches into heaven. It didn't reach into heaven, of course. And he didn't even think it would, I don't think. But he wanted a, uh, a, something to, um, you know, to, for his pride. He wanted people to look at him and say, wow, you're really something. You are really something, Nimrod. How could you do all this? You know, you're, you're really special. And that kind of reminds you, I bet, of uh, another one that stood in that almost that same area later and said, I have done all of this. Nebuchadnezzar, remember, in Babylon. So here we are, and uh, Nimrod is, um, is, is taking his pride, and he's, he's moving out, and he's saying, we don't have to do what God said. We don't have to scatter across the earth. We're going to settle right here, and we'll have you know, all these people can come in. We got bricks and we got mortar. We're going to build this big city and we're going to build this big tower. And, and what happens is um, 
God's looking down on this. It says God came down to look at it. And uh, he, he says, let's confuse their language. He said, they're going to keep doing what they want. But he said, let's confuse their language. And I don't know what the language was. It says they had only one language. And it had to be the same language Adam and Eve had. So I, I suspect that... Uh, it was the language that God had. When God said, let there be light, and there was light. And because God came down to the garden and walked and talked with Adam. So that language, whatever it is, Augustine, I guess, thinks it was Hebrew. And other people have other ideas, but no one really knows, I guess, except God. And that language was the language of Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth. So that's the language that started over again. And here's Nimrod with that language. And they're talking to each other. I say, you go get the brook. You get the shovel. You know, you get the trowel here. We're going to put these bricks together. And God comes down and he confuses their language. And they start saying, you know, you go get this. I'll build this. They can't talk to each other. Oops. So they're um, all of a sudden, now they got a problem. Their languages have been changed. And God has given them other languages. And so these languages are, um, they're confusing to all of them. They can't talk to each other, you know. There's probably a little group of this, this language and a little group of this language. And so they start to scatter. So God has forced them to do his will. He scattered them out across the face of the earth, each one going with their language groups. And so... We have now nations of languages, different languages. And uh, so the Lord scatters them abroad upon the face of the whole earth. But the problem is they're taking their idolatry with them. They're taking their pride with them. They're taking all their, what's, what, was, what they had done in rebellion against God, they're taking it and spreading it over the whole earth. So, um, we'll see what happens there. Uh, a, a little note about uh, Nimrod. He scatters too. And guess what he goes? His next stop was Nineveh. And so he builds, the, he builds the great city of Nineveh, which was, in the ancient world, was the largest city and said to be the most wicked city in the world. That was Nineveh. And you'll remember how God told later Jonah, to go and tell the, tell the people of Nineveh to repent or I'm going to destroy their, their city. I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah said, but they hate us. You know, they're our enemies. And Assyria was a thorn in the flesh to the Israelites the whole time. And uh, Jonah said, nah, um, I don't want to do that, Lord. And so Jonah runs and, of course, gets in the boat and Sails for Tarshish and, and uh, on a ship, and everything goes wrong on that ship. And a storm comes, and they said, "What's going on here?" And Jonah said, "Oh, it's me. God's after me. Throw me in the water, and you, your problems will be over." So they throw him in the water, and God sends a big fish to gobble him up and and spit him out on land. And Jonah, um, in the depths of the belly of the fish, he prays, and God hears him and throws him up on land. So now God's going to give him a second chance. So 
God gives him a second chance, and he uh, um, he does he does okay with it, and he goes back there and he re- and he preaches to Nineveh, and he just exactly what he thought would happen happens. He says, "God, you're so merciful. I'll probably preach and uh, tell them that the city's going to be destroyed, and you'll probably forgive them all, and they'll repent and." And you'll be merciful to him. He says, and that will give me a bad name. So Jonah was kind of sad about that. So that's exactly what happened. He, uh, Nineveh repented, and um, that, and uh, and Jonah, of course, then he goes and sits under the little, um, what was it, a little <laughs> branch with some shade, and he has a little story there too, but we won't go there. Um, and, but then uh, I was just thinking, Nineveh. Eventually, Nahum, the whole book of Nahum is about Nineveh. It's the judgment on Nineveh. And God eventually does send uh, the Medes and the Babylonians come in and just totally destroy Nineveh. And that was pre- prophesied by Nahum. That was in 612 B.C. So we're getting closer and closer now to, to the New Testament, to where Christ comes into the world, the incarnation of Jesus. So let's go now to Acts, the book of Acts. And uh, chapter 1. So we're, we're kind of following this, trying to see what on earth does this have to do with the New Testament? What does this have to do with God's plan and purposes? Okay, so right, right away in chapter 1, um, Luke tells us that uh, uh, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commands them not to part, depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. Um, and then he says, um, verse 9, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, um, this is ten days later when when that happens. Pentecost is ten days after this. Jesus is ready for his ascension. He's giving his goodbyes to his disciples, and he says, "Now just stay here in Jerusalem and until um, the gift of the Father comes upon you." And so these hundred and twenty wave goodbye to. To the Lord, and He goes up into the clouds, and and of course the um, they go and do what He said. They go into the upper room, and it says in prayer and the Word. They spend their time in prayer and the Word, and so they're ten days in the upper room, and then um, it's the day of of Pentecost to us, but at, to them it was the day of uh, the feast of weeks or the feast of harvest. It was. Uh, Time when men uh, came from all over uh, the known world at that time, Jewish pe- Jewish men would come back to Jerusalem to worship, and so the town was just flooded with people, and uh, you know Ju- Jerusalem was alive, all kinds of action there, and uh, all of a sudden, there um, and and they they are. Um, all of a sudden, there's the sound of a mighty roaring wind. And then something like 
tongues of fire sat upon each one. There's 120 of them in the upper room. And then they begin speaking in different languages. And uh, the different languages that they speak, um, I don't think 120 different languages, I think many different languages, but some, some speaking the same maybe. And they, uh, they go out in the streets speaking these languages. Um, let's just look at Acts 2, verse, chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 here. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so now here's these probably thousands of people in the streets of Jerusalem. And they're out in the streets speaking, and people start hearing them in their languages. Because these people were all from different nations. There were, um, I won't read the list of names because I can't pronounce half of them here, but I'll just tell you uh, what, I, what, what I found about it was they were Jewish men from all over the Middle East all over Asia, North Africa, Rome, the islands in the Mediterranean, and they all came to Jerusalem. So there's all these different languages. And they came, uh, this is 50 days after the resurrection and, and uh, um, 10 days after Jesus ascended. Now all these men began to hear the wonderful works of God in their own languages, recognizing that most of these men are Galileans that are, t are speaking. And they, they immediately come to a bad conclusion and say, these men are drunk. And uh, I don't know how they figure that they're drunk if they're speaking in their language, but um, I'm, I'm sure if it was uh, preaching in a crowd, there were voices coming from all over in different languages they were hearing, but they were hearing their own. That's the one they understood. And they began to mock the 120. And they said, these men are drunk. And so now Peter stands up. And you remember Peter. He's, a, he's the one that always has something to say. Um, I always think of the, um, I think it's in Matthew 16, where Peter, um, Jesus says, who, who do men say that I am? And, and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Um, but the important question, and the important question for every one of us always is, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And who do you say he is? That's the important thing. And immediately Peter blurts out, which is typical of Peter. He says, thou art the son, uh, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm sure the, the, the disciples around him probably were shocked, you know, or, that's great. And then Jesus says, Simon Barjona, you didn't think of that yourself. 
My Father which is in heaven gave that to you. And you're going to be called Cephas, a rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. Well, he didn't mean he was going to build the church on Peter, as we'll find out in the next, the next little event that takes place. But um, he meant the revelation. Men will receive a revelation from God and they were recorded in a book. And this is the book they recorded. The Apostles' Doctrine. Prophets and the Doctrines uh, that come from the Apostles was a revelation from God. And that's the the rock that God built his church upon. He builds it upon the Word of God. And we have it. And that Word of God is uh, precious. It is absolutely precious to us. So, Jesus said, that's the rock I'm going to build the church on. Unfortunately, other churches have said, well, they're going to build, Peter's our rock, you know, he's the Pope. You know, we're going to, um, you know, we, we can build our church on Peter. Well, that's not true because the next thing that happens is um, Jesus tells them again, he's already told them, but he tells them again that he's going to, have to go. The Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem, and uh, he's going to have to. Um, he's going to have to be taken captive by the scribes and the teachers of the law. And he's going to be condemned, and he's going to be put to death. And Peter says, "No way, Lord! You are not going to do that. I'm here to see it doesn't happen." He says, "I'm going to go up there and take care of that." And uh, Jesus immediately offers one of the sharpest rebukes that he does to any of his disciples at any time. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you savor not the things of God, but the things of men. And Peter, well, you know, he probably was just feeling pretty proud after that first comment. Now all of a sudden he's, he's kind of humbled by this. And, and uh, it's, it's a shock to his system. But all those rebukes, and Peter received a few of them, uh, he wouldn't let Jesus wash his feet. He said, you're never going to wash my feet. And he was re- rebuked by Jesus for that. So all the time, um, there's, there's, there's always Peter saying something that comes out of Peter. And um, so that's what we expect here. You know, here we are at Pentecost, and now it says Peter stands up to tell him. And he might have stood up and said, um... Here's what I think is happening here today, and gives you his opinion, but he doesn't do that. Or he might have said, well, John, Andrew, why don't you guys come over here and we'll tell them tell what you think happened here today. But Peter, not that way right now. Something's happened to Peter. He's different. And he stands up and he, he takes the gospel. He takes the, he takes the message of uh, Joel, the prophecy of Joel, um, where Joel said, um, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And if, you, if we look back at that, it's, uh, um, he says, your, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will, uh, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions, and he'll, uh, your maid servants, your men servants are going to, you know, all, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, of course, Heba, um, not Habakkuk, but uh, Joel, um, he was living in a time where 
The only ones that heard from God were the prophets, the priests, and the kings. They were the only ones that had anything to say that God told them or that God put on their hearts. And so he said, well, um, your sons and daughters are going to have something to say. Your young men are going to have something to say. Your old men are going to have something to say. And he's going to pour out his spirit. Well, I think, I think uh, later it was said that um, um, no one will say, know the Lord, for they will all know them. They will all know him from the least of them to the greatest. They'll all know him. And so um, here he's, he's given what's going to happen in the spirit is he's going to be poured out on kids. He's going to be poured out on young men. He's going to be poured out on old men. He's going to be poured out on, on servants and everyone. You know, whoever, whoever desires to follow God. And that desire, of course, is put there by God. And if they, if they desire to follow him, the spirit, the spirit will be poured out upon him. And so that's, that's Joel's prophecy. So Peter, Peter says, uh, if we go to verse 22, I think I get mixed up here. I'm not a great note person. But Peter, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men and brethren of men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and take heed of my words, for these men are not drunk. Of course, he said that. Then um, in verse 22. Peter says, men of Israel... Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then in verse uh, 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? And then Peter says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all those who are far off and as many as the Lord will call. And who crucified the Lord? Who crucified? He says, you crucified the Lord Jesus. Who was it? Was it um, Pilate? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Was it you and I? Was it... um, The answer is yes to all those. Was it God? Yes. God the Father. It pleased him to bruise his son. Christ in being obedient to the cross. God, this is God's plan. This is God's purpose that Christ would come down to die for the sins of you and I. And he did. Ephesians, it says, but God, his great love wherewith he loved us, his mercy he came down and he saved us. And we weren't worth saving. There's not a person in here, not a person in Jerusalem at that time, not a one of the apostles that deserved to be saved. There just weren't. Um, I think of the apostles that walked with Jesus for three years, um, they were a mess. You know, they, they constantly were doing things wrong. And I don't remember Jesus saying too much to them other than, uh, you know, Eve, little faith, you know. And he, he just kept, kept going. He kept working with them. He worked with them. And now he's poured out his spirit upon them. The promise of the Father. Okay. Now, I can find where I am. We'll be in good shape here. Okay. Um, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that He's poured out upon them. And I just looked through, I just wanted to go through and say, what is the Holy Spirit? What's, what's His role? What's He responsible for? You know, it was, um, I was surprised how many He's responsible for a lot of things. But um, He's a comforter, we know that. He's the spirit of truth. Um, He tells the disciples, he was with you the whole time, but now he's going to be in you. In John uh, John 16, he says, it's expedient that I go away. It's going to be good that I go away. They couldn't figure that out. Why would it be good if you go away? And he said, because if I don't go, the comforter can't come. And he's been with you, but now he's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. And so he's a comforter. He's a teacher. He'll teach you all things. Um, he'll bring to remembrance whatever I've said and done. And that was a special, I think, to the apostles. And they wrote it down. And I says, Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says, um, 
All scripture is inspired of God and and, uh, profitable for doctrine, correction, reproof, and training up in righteousness, um, that the man of God may be uh, uh, perfect and equipped for every good work. Um, He used a helper. He testified, he will testify of me. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's not going to come down and talk about himself. How many remember the uh, some of you do the days of the six, the, seven, the early seventies when there were all this move about the Holy Spirit, and you know, uh, then in, eventually I don't know, maybe it was in the nineties even when they had in Toronto the come to Toronto and get filled with the Spirit, and you can roll around on the floor and laugh. I mean, that's what God was doing, I guess. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing where they, the attractions of the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit working. It's, the Holy Spirit is, will testify Jesus. Jesus Christ will be the important one if the Holy Spirit is speaking. And uh, he, he sort of hides himself and he pushes Jesus to the front. He wants Jesus to be glorified. And that's another thing he does. He glorifies the Son. Um, he'll guide you into all truth. He can open up the scriptures for you. Uh, you pick up the scriptures and read, and you say, well, I don't know what that says. Remember uh, uh, Philip, when he goes out uh, after this time in Jerusalem, and Philip's one of the deacons that was raised up, and he he's, uh, goes finds himself down on the desert, and here's a Ethiopian eunuch driving along in his chariot and he's reading Isaiah and Philip comes alongside him and says do you know what you're reading? He says no. He says how could I know if nobody teaches me? So Philip hops up in the chariot and starts preaching Jesus to him and of course he was reading this, uh, reading from uh, Isaiah 53 you know where it says he you know he was a man of sorrows and he you know and, and he was uh Silent before his, uh, before like a sheep silent before the shears, and so it was uh, um, chapter fifty three he was talking about. But G- but Philip preached Jesus, and and we find out here that uh, Peter's preaching Jesus in this Pentecost. We always say, well, Pentecost is all about the Holy Spirit. Well, if you read it, it wasn't all about the Holy Spirit. It was about Jesus. It was about the Christ. It was about the predeterminate will of God. God planned us all. And uh, we, we, we forget that. But um, the Holy Spirit's job is to, to work it out, to bring it, up, to apply it to the church and to us. He will guide you into all truth. He will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they believe not on me. Righteousness because I go to my Father in judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And he shall glorify me and take what's mine and show it to you. Um, He'll help us in our weakness. He'll make intercession for us. He shows us what things are freely given to us by God. And then, you know, uh, in John 14, 23, Jesus said something that might be confusing. Um, I I used to find it confusing. He said... um, if you keep my commandments, my Father will love you. And my Father and I will come to you and we'll make our abode in you. 
And I think, well, how could he do that? But we have to remember that God is spirit. God is spirit. Christ is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. These three are one. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Son, it says in Galatians. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Father. It's the spirit of the Son. So the, all three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. And so Christ is dwelling in us by faith. And the Father and the Holy Spirit dwell in us. Um, God is spirit. And uh, he makes intercession for us. He shows us what things are freely given to us. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2.11, he says, um, he tells us uh, how because the Holy Spirit's in us and Christ is in us, we have the mind of Christ. And he says, the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. He just can't. Except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This can't happen. These things are not understood academically or uh, in, in a, but they're understood by the Spirit. The Spirit opens the door. So I was saying before, you know, if you, if you have struggle reading the Scriptures, before you read, always ask God to open the door for you. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you. You know, show me great and mighty things that I don't know anything about here, Lord. And he will teach you. And he teaches us the Scriptures. Um, whatever we can understand of the, of the Scriptures is taught to us by the Holy Spirit. Um, otherwise, this, this is really hard. How many remember ever picking up a Bible or trying to read it before you were born again? I mean, it's about impossible. It makes no sense. But here God makes sense of it for us. Um, okay, where are they? Okay. So, um, um, also, he's our sanctifier. I was going to say that, I guess. Um, John 17, 17, uh, he tells us, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. So he's saying, uh, you've got a job to do. It's to sanctify this unsanctified people. And to, to make us eventually spotless and blameless before God. <laughs> that, and that's a, that's a big charge to do that. And so he says, sanctify them by thy, wor- by thy word. Thy word is truth. By the truth. Thy, yeah, thy word is truth. So um, he's our sanctifier. And then Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says, mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit? Well, when you receive Christ, you receive the Spirit. Galatians 4, 4, 4. In the fullness of time, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem all those who were under the law, that they might receive their adoption as sons. And then he says, because you are sons, he'll send the spirit of his son into your heart, 
crying, Abba, Father. So we, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. And when we receive him, we don't receive a half of Christ. We don't receive a Savior, but not a Lord. If you're going to receive Christ, he's got to be Lord and Savior. Not just Savior, not just Lord. He's going to be Lord and Savior. He's the complete Christ. And uh, you receive all that the Holy Spirit is. But our problem is we got another person, another thing working inside of us are, are called the flesh. Most of us are familiar with the flesh. Um, it resides inside of us. It's just as evil and awful and bad as it's ever been. It's still there. And it will be till the day we go home. Um, that's, that's what's inside of us. And it, it likes to poke its head up. It likes to, to, to show itself. And it's strong. And, uh, but he says, mortify the deeds of the flesh. If you want to read the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, 22 or no, no, that's the spirit. Uh, yeah, right, right in there somewhere. End of chapter five. Read the uh, the deeds of the flesh are, are awful. That's us, and we have to reconcile ourselves to the fact of sin, and it's hard to do. You know, we don't want to reconcile ourselves to the fact of sin. We want to say, well, yeah, but we're saved. Yeah, but you still have the fact of sin still dwells in you, and so this. Sin that dwells in us likes to poke up its head. But when you received the Holy Spirit, you received all of the Holy Spirit. So you received all that the Holy Spirit is. So for your pride, mortify your pride by the humility of the Holy Spirit. Meekness. He gives us those. Um, mortify your, um, you know, mortify your um, anger by by the love of the Holy Spirit, by the peace of the Holy Spirit. Um, mortify your bitterness and kind of hatred for your life. Um, mortify that with the joy of the Lord. It's your strength. So all the, all the fruits of the Spirit match up with the deeds of the flesh. So God has prepared us by offering up a way to subdue these things that reside in us. And you put them down, guess what? They don't always stay down. <laughs> They'll pop up again somewhere sometime, but you pop them down again. And you do this by the Spirit. So he, he's given us, um, the, the, he's given us the, the, the way that he wants us um, to be sanctified. It's sanctified by the Spirit. So all these, so these uh, kind of the moral of the story here. I'll try to wrap up here. There, the um, the Jews have come in from all these various nations. They've heard the gospel. It says, and three thousand of them were added to the church that day. Three thousand. That's a pretty good sermon for Peter. He, his his first sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit used, used to be with them, but Jesus says, now he'll be in you. And so Peter, um, in power, speaks the word of God, and 3,000 of them are saved. And now those 
3,000 are going to go back home. They're going to scatter, just like God's plan. They're going to scatter across the earth. But this time, instead of like Nimrod's crew taking their idolatry with them, they're going to take the gospel. So they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and that's God's plan. And so the gospel begins to be spread out across the land. And, of course, he continues that with, uh, you know, Philip meeting the eunuch. He, com- he continues, uh, Peter's up on the roof praying, at the, uh, um, and he gets a vision of sheep coming down with all these unclean animals on it. And God says, Peter, take and eat. And Peter says, no, not me, Lord. I never would touch anything like that. I'm not going to have anything to do with that food. You know, I'm, I'm a good Jew, and I'm not going to do that. And God says, don't you call unclean what I have cleansed. Don't you call unclean if I've cleansed it. And Peter, whoa, okay. He says, and then he says, someone's going to come and knock on your door now, and they're going to tell you to come up to Caesarea and follow. He says, go, go with them, no doubting. And so Peter goes with them, and and, of course, it's Gentile, the home of a Gentile. Peter, oh, man, how can I do this? Go into the home of a Gentile. But he does it. And, of course, that's the, uh, Cornelius is saved and his friends that he's brought in to hear Peter. And um, so the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. And, and God is doing his work. And... Uh, Why is God adamant about spreading the gospel over the whole earth? Why does he want the pagan, uh, ritualistic natives in New Guinea somewhere to hear the gospel? Well, I think we we can see it even in the fruit of, since Paul went over there, um, men have been changed. Lives have been changed. Culture's been changed. Um, and that's only a small example of what's going on around the earth. And missionaries are going out. Paul's missionary journeys. Um, so this continues, and it continues, and it's you and I. And if we say something to one person, and they maybe say something to another one, and it spreads. And so God says, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world. And then shall the end come. Or he says, Go ye therefore into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And, and uh, that's, uh, that's quite a thing. Um, so, if you know Jesus today, amen. Yeah, amen. Um, God's got a purpose, and he's got a plan, and he'll get you there. He says, uh, um, uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You know, you'll struggle. He'll struggle. You have some enemies inside of you working against you, you and you've got enemies around you working against you. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil, and uh, they would just love to pull you down. World would love to pull you back into the world, but God doesn't want to let them. Uh, it says at the end of Jude, "Unto Him who is able to keep you from falling." You know, we have we have an an owner, a master, 
and we follow him. Uh, he that followeth after me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Um, that's different than going back to the world. But um, at the end of John Newton's famous hymn, uh, Amazing Grace, uh, the last verse is, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Think about that. Isn't that an amazing thing? What's in store for us? But what's in store for the unbeliever? So I wrote a little verse. When we've been there 10,000 years in torment, fire, and flame, there'll be no change and no less days for those who are to blame. So there's, there's a difference between you and your unbelieving neighbor. Your unbelieving relatives, your unbelieving friends, there's a difference. And the difference is um, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. So, um, thank you for being patient with me. I lose my place and all kinds of things, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for giving us your word, Lord. You are a fabulous, awesome God. You are, uh, um, there's just none like you, Lord. And uh, we love you, and we're, we're grateful to you for all that you do here. We're grateful for Pastor Mark, and uh, we'll be uh, grateful to, for you to bring him back here next week, safe and sound, and uh, bring us all back, Lord, that we might continue, Lord, to hear your word, to grow, to so to walk in the light that you give us. And we ask you now to let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Um.